Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. We tend to have quite unique experiences, and it's harder mm. to find people to share that with. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. I am very excited about today's show to feature a very special psychologist. Today's show is entitled A Conversation with a Psychologist Born with a Congenital Heart Defect. Many of you know Dr. Lisa Morton from our interview with her last week, but for those of you who didn't hear that episode, Dr. Lisa Morton is a counseling psychologist with a background in research. Lisa was born with congenital heart block, and an atrial septal defect. She has had countless interventions, most notably starting with her first pacemaker at 11 days of age, which was a world first in 1978. She had open heart surgery to repair her ASD at age 12 and her 11th pacemaker in 2018. Lisa is passionate about improving care and the wider experience of living with a heart condition from birth. Lisa's current research interests include a polyvagal lens to better understand the psychosocial impact of living with a heart condition, the impact of patient clothing on well-being and recovery, and using psychologically informed medical care to prevent medical trauma. In the first segment, we'll talk with Lisa a little more in depth about the research she is so passionate about. In the second and third segments, Lisa will be in the studio with a live studio audience and she'll answer the questions that they may have. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Lisa. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to be doing an international show. And for those of you who are listening, Lisa is talking to us from Scotland. I am in Texas and we have audience members from the United States and Australia. So Lisa, let's talk about your research I was so amazed when I saw your interview on YouTube, and there'll be a link to that on the website. And I was fascinated to see some of the research you've been doing over the last several years. It's really interesting. Let's talk about the polyvagal theory. That is something that we talked about in our interview last week, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that, what is it and what parents can do regarding this theory? I guess we spoke about this last week and I explained what the polyvagal theory was and is. I think that it provides us with a framework that is is really useful because it enables us to understand our bodily experience better. And that's incredibly empowering for people because you then have a language to use to share with others how you feel. And then being able to do that as a gift in itself because you can then understand your own experience and explain that with others and share that. And when you can't do that, that can be psychologically harmful. Mm-hmm. An example from personal experience would be when I was growing up, my 
pacemaker was at a fixed rate, so my heart rate couldn't go up or down until I was 12. And I found that quite limiting. But at the time, we were told that I should be able to function normally and I should be able to just do what other kids were doing. But physiologically, I couldn't. And that was incredibly confusing. So I think Mm. it is important that we are able to share our bodily experience with other people. And usually that's something that would happen naturally with peers. But if your body works a little bit differently, then that can be isolating. So I think this perspective also, there's a real importance within the polyvagal theory about safety. It highlights the importance of safe relationships. That then provides a framework to inform how things could maybe be better for this population. For example, having compassionate loved ones during times of stress is incredibly important. And so we think about that within the medical setting, making sure that parents or main caregivers are there for children in intensive care, that they're able to touch and sing and soothe their children. Kind of strategies that I spoke about last week as well to enhance feelings of safety. Right. I think that's very interesting and times have changed so much and it's research like this that have helped us to have a much more improved experience for the patients and for their families Mm -hmm. too. It's interesting because a few weeks ago we were featuring my producer's mother, David Franco's mom, and Mm -hmm. she was talking to us about raising a child over 50 years ago with a heart condition and how she wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital. Yeah, I know. It's quite unbelievable to think about that now, but that's something I hear often. When I present on this, I've had many people come to me afterwards and say that they were maybe hospitalized in the 50s or the 60s or even the 70s and maybe in hospital for up to six months in an oxygen tent and their parents were maybe visiting just weekly. Right. That was standard practice work of a psychologist James Robertson and he had quite a famous book A Young Child Goes to Hospital and it was around about the same time as the attachment work that Bowlby did and he was able to demonstrate that children in hospitals at that point it was seen that they would calm down if their parents weren't there but actually he showed that they weren't calming down they were shutting down and we really need to have the main caregivers there Because the way I see it, trauma is almost sort of the flip side of safety. So we want to feel as safe as possible to try and mitigate against trauma. The biggest protective factor for feeling safe, particularly for children, but for all of us, is to have your loved one present. Right. And and that from so many studies, even in war times or other things, when, when major trauma is going on, the most protective thing is to have your main caregiver by your side, soothing you, containing you. I'm hugely passionate about making sure that that happens. Not only can that happen from the main caregiver, but we can also improve those feelings of relational safety by having medical staff trained in the importance of compassionate caregiving, by making sure that medical teams are consistent so that um, that was one of, of the things that even back in the kind of 50s and 60s, James Robertson advocated was that the nurses and doctors don't shop and change all of the time. There's a consistent care team. Um, mm. And I think there's lots of things that we could be doing in the hospital setting to improve that kind of feelings of safety. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When my son was in the hospital, 
it was interesting to see how many different nurses and respiratory therapists mm-hmm. and other doctors came in and out. And it was very yeah. gratifying to me when the same nurse would come back the next day yeah. because she knew my child's name and she knew yeah. what had happened the previous day. And you mm-hmm. develop a relationship with them. That's so important. Right, that right. Really- and so my mother was coming up to the hospital every day with me. And she got attached to the nurses too. We got to know the nurses, the names of their children. And my mom would go and buy food for lunch for all the nurses that were taking care of my son. (laughs) It just becomes your support system. It does. And I think that that's one of the issues for the adult population today, because although Hopefully this understanding is growing with children and things have improved. What we have are today's adult population have missed out because they may not have had that in childhood or their parents may not have been there. But then we also have huge problems with inconsistency of care for adults because services haven't evolved in time to meet our needs. That again creates uncertainty on top of the uncertainties of the condition itself as well. Night Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl it. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Before the break, we were talking with Lisa about some of the research that she has done and her colleagues have done. But now we're going to open the floor to members of our studio audience. So we're going to start with a question from Megan in Australia. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Megan. Hi, Anna. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I feel so lucky to get to actually talk with Lisa after I saw one of her articles on the conversation a few weeks ago. You've talked a lot about the importance of having the primary caregiver there for young children in hospital, and I totally agree. When I was in hospital, my mother or father was pretty much always there, which was great. But I was wondering what your vision might be for what an adult or teen service might be in the hospital I think that's a really important question, Megan, and I'm glad that you brought that up. I think 
it's just as vital for us to have a loved one there as we get older. I can remember from personal experience when I became kind of a teenager, I wanted that separation and it's hard. And I think that you have to figure that out yourself. But if you think about any other health condition, if you were suddenly ill, you wouldn't be going to the hospital yourself. You wouldn't be there on your own. So that's true. Why would we do that? Because it's a long term condition that comes and goes all the time. In fact, if anything, that would mean that we would probably need that support even more because we have memories of having been in hospital historically and probably going forward. So I think in his attachment work, Bobby has stated at times of ill health, all of us need that secure attachment. And personally, I think that's completely true. It might not be your parent anymore. It might be a friend or a partner or somebody else that's close to you, or it might be a variety of people. But mm. but we know that safe relationships are hugely protective in terms of mental health outcomes across the board. So why would that be any different for us? Yeah, that's right. I remember I like came back into the hospital sort of quite suddenly when I was about 25. I was mm-hmm. quite surprised that they were bringing uh, social workers and psychologists around to talk to me rather than mm-hmm. just a cardiologist which I thought was wonderful yeah that sounds good but, that was happening there <laughs> yes yeah definitely but for me it was always good to have somebody mm-hmm. but I, I felt like also as an adult I was yeah. aware of how much time I was taking up from my family because I knew that they had to work I wanted them to get mm-hmm. on with their lives but I think it would be a good thing to have more in-hospital support, like having someone from, say, an adult congenital support service come to visit yeah. or something like that or common mm-hmm. ward for the congenital patients because I hardly yeah. ever saw any others while I was there. I was in there with people who were sort of in their 60s and 70s and mm-hmm. I didn't see any other young people. That's tough. And I think that is a really good point in terms of peer support is so important too. And mm. there are all all sorts of ways that having more social support could be facilitated that's embedded within the service. But it, it doesn't just have to be mum and dad anymore. It can be friends, yeah. like you say, peers. Well, I spent a lot of time on Facebook while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that all of these kind of forums on Facebook are are hugely popular and that's why, because it offers that kind of peer support. You have common experiences and and normally kind of throughout life, we quite easily have common experiences with our peers and other people around us. But we tend to have quite unique experiences and it's harder Mm. to find people to share that with. That's one of the wonderful things, I suppose, about the communication age and everything that's Facebook and social media because we can now link in and and find other people and and share. Yes, definitely. Is it okay if I ask another question? Absolutely. So just thinking again about the kind of psychological and social work support I've encountered in the hospital, Mm -hmm. the staff were always lovely. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't sort of touch on the idea of, of safety and trauma so much. It would be sort of more the talk therapy, like yeah. cognitive behaviour therapy, and they'd 
of getting into resilience and mindfulness as well and I mean, mm-hmm. I did a bit of reading of my own and I personally found logotherapy quite interesting about searching for mm-hmm. meaning in your life. And I think mm-hmm. probably different things will work for different people. But I guess, yeah. again, what would polyvagal therapy look like if, you know, you went to a consultation with a polyvagal therapist and if there was such a thing available this is an area that's quite new and that's developing Mm. so I read about polyvagal theory and it just really fitted with my own experiences and what I kind of understood more than other things I had read and the safety and trauma aspect which I think has been missed um, by a lot of interventions for people with congenital heart disease. Um, I agree. So I emailed Professor Porges and I explained my own situation and said I thought it had implications for you know, people living with a heart condition. And surprisingly, he just emailed me right back and he said, of course it does, but this hasn't been looked at and I've never spoken to anybody about this before. And he happened to, at that point, be writing the book in Clinical Applications of Polyvagal Theory. And he invited me to write a book chapter developing these ideas. So it's all very new. As far as I know, it's the first time it's been applied to congenital heart disease and so what I tried to do is in that book chapter and then in a journal article that I just had published is, is develop some of this because psychology is increasingly moving towards more body and holistic approaches I think the mind body division is a bit of a false dichotomy we're learning so much more about the links between the gut the heart and the mind and if part of that is maybe congenitally not quite in tune with the rest of the body, then intuitively it makes sense that Mm. that's going to have an impact on everything else. I guess it's about having that more holistic understanding and then using that framework to then think about, well, what can we do? And there are lots of established techniques that have already been developed and within the kind of body psychotherapy field for people who have experienced trauma that we can borrow or use that are more about safety and stabilisation. So as you said, rather than kind of talking therapy, you need to kind of be engaged in your social engagement system and you need to be Mm. feeling quite safe to do that. So if you're kind of not in that place, then that's not necessarily going to work. So doing some more kind of body techniques to get your body into a place where you can be in that system first then that might be more beneficial yes yeah when I read the article it was certainly a bit of a light bulb moment for me and I shared it with some CHD groups on Facebook and those are overwhelming (laughs) you know yes 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 (laughs) this is this is me I think back to when I was a child and I definitely had things like separation anxiety Mm -hmm. I was scared to go to school I would freak out on mm-hmm. school camp, didn't yeah. like the sound of the telephone. <laughs> and right. yeah, 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 these were all little things that were kind of weird, yeah. but wasn't it? Yeah. But I think that's what's reading. powerful about this is just even having that understanding, because I had the same experience when I when I read about this. It's like suddenly I was able to understand my own experiences. Because mm-hmm. I've always had unexplained physical symptoms that were never put down as having anything to do with the cardiac condition but 
I thought myself, there must be some link here. And just suddenly it just, it made sense. And I think that's incredibly empowering. I think, okay, I can understand. That's right. What's happening here. And then you can share that and then you can do things about it as well. Yes, yeah, no, that's that's true. I have done a lot of reading into CHD just to try and learn and Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing how often I see things and go, well, isn't that strange? I've always thought that mm-hmm. it's something that I've been told isn't linked or shouldn't be happening. And Yeah, and that's psychologically that's very distressing, isn't it, when you're told you shouldn't be feeling something that you are feeling because that's, that's incredibly confusing. Well, it was, and to me, I always... I would feel like, gee, are the adults lying to me? And I know now that mm-hmm. they probably weren't. They're probably just saying what they knew at the time. But I always yeah. almost felt like oh, yeah, people lying to me. I think that what's happened is the medicine has come on so far in the last 50 years. And it's amazing because all of us wouldn't be here. And um, so that's a huge success. But I Absolutely. think that a lot of us are now dependent on medical treatments that are perhaps less humanized and then you know would be a normal human experience and we haven't really caught up with that in terms of the psychological and emotional impact that just hasn't been considered I think we've got quite a bit of catching up to do yes yeah I think particularly for adults I was visiting a children's hospital recently and it was just beautiful I mean they'd set it up just like a home, yeah. they had activities for the children, wow. music therapy, the parents mm-hmm. were welcomed and they had a common room with meals and things like that. Yeah. That you know, fantastic. it was amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Before the break, we were talking with Lisa, and we actually had a member of our studio audience, Megan Tones, all the way from Australia, who was asking Lisa some more questions about the polyvagal theory. It was really fascinating. Now we have a member of our studio audience from Austin, Texas. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, David. I'd like to ask a question in I need to start with a little bit of history. I'm 52 years old, and recently Mm -hmm. we spoke about the touching when you're a child, Mm -hmm. about the Mm -hmm. adult 
they mentioned actually skin to skin contact. My father would have also called it caressing the Mm -hmm. baby, feeling the touch of the parents. And Mm -hmm. I know there are studies that show it, but is there anything that particularly stands out when a person is neglected like that? And do you see things that are actually typical that happen? If they don't have that, do you mean? Yes, correct. If there's no contact, okay. if there's very, yeah. if the child is isolated for a while. We know that touch is incredibly important. There was a study done back around the 50s on Harlow's monkeys. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's a very famous psychology study where monkeys were left in isolation without their mother. And the ones who had some kind of fabric that was soft and reassuring were the ones that did best. And there's also been a lot of work done by Bowlby on attachment. And this was in the early days. And since then, going forward, this has all been backed up by a lot of neurological studies. So we know that touch is incredibly important for normal neurological development and attachment, secure and safe attachment. And the attachment that we have with our early care providers provides the template going forward for future relationships. So it's incredibly important. I see. And more recently, there have been studies on things like what they call kangaroo care. So when they have premature babies, when they're held next to mum's skin or dad's skin, they tend to put on weight um, and have higher rates of survival. So... There are a lot of studies out there, many of which I've cited and drawn on in my own work. And we also know things like when a doctor provides a reassuring touch, so even just a handshake, there is enhanced survival rates. So just simple things like that. Yes. I can remember I had surgery just last summer to have lead extraction And one of the things that I really remember is that when I was waiting preoperatively, obviously quite anxious, the surgeon came to see me beforehand and he just patted my leg before he left and said, you know, I'll see you in theatre. And just that one gesture, I just immediately felt safe and reassured. So these things do matter much more so than we previously thought, I think. I mention this because through many parts of my early life, Mm -hmm. when I was left alone, much like you, I was given a pacemaker at an early state, not as early as Mm -hmm. you, but Mm -hmm. I had an early pacer implanted and Mm I was constantly being checked and being Mm -hmm. catheterized, hospitalized, Mm -hmm. poked, Mm -hmm. prodded, and it it was almost very normal to me. And I'm wondering if I was conditioned for that setting because of how I was brought mm-hmm. up as an infant. And I guess it could affect everyone differently. But can a person have PTSD and not recognize the symptoms? If you're looking at it formally, PTSD has got two different types. So the first type is simple PTSD, where you have maybe one incident, say a car accident, and you maybe relive that experience and you have like your body gets stuck and like the red lights on and you're in that alarm place and, and you maybe have um, flashbacks 
There's a second type of PTSD, which is complex PTSD. And that's when you've, you've had more than one traumatic event. And usually they kind of build up over time. And some of that can be relational as well. So that some of the people involved in your life, maybe that you've loved, caused harm. And so I think that when we're talking about congenital heart disease and people have had multiple interventions, it's probably more of a complex PTSD picture. The characteristics of that are just generally being more anxious and more hypervigilant, maybe having nightmares, flashbacks. And the way I see it, I'm not a psychiatrist and I don't tend to work with diagnostic categories. I think that it's more helpful to just provide a fuller understanding of that person's bodily experiences. And that's why I like the the polyvagal theory that I've spoken about, because it's not so much in terms of diagnosing somebody with they do or they don't have that. I don't think it's that black and white. I guess if you look at it from a polyvagal perspective, what you would be saying is that we're maybe, when you've had many traumatic experiences and maybe if you have an underlying heart condition, then you're maybe more likely to go into a mode your body feels threatened does that make sense absolutely it's not that you're different or in some different category it's just that because of your bodily experiences then you're maybe more likely to go into that mode where you feel like something bad is going to happen to me that just absolutely makes sense because if a lot of bad things have happened to you then why wouldn't you feel like that your body's kind of become programmed to do that and I also think that potentially because of the heart condition itself, because our heart rate is so integral to how our body decides whether or not the environment is at risk or not, then if that's a little bit out of kilter, then we might be more likely to go into that mode too. I wouldn't advocate diagnosing everybody with PTSD. I think it's more of a spectrum and it's more kind of thinking of it that way and thinking, well, actually, maybe I'm just a bit more vulnerable. And therefore, maybe it would be helpful for me and my body to recognise that and then have strategies to get back into a place of feeling safe. I think it's so important. That, it, that it has helped. Well, thank you. It has helped. Yes, it really has. Yeah. I want to thank Lisa also for coming on the show. I can't believe our time is already up. This has been a really <laughs> fascinating program. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on the program today and sharing your experiences and advice with us. It has been really eye-opening. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it has been so much fun. And thank you to my live studio audience. You guys have been awesome. This really has been an international show. (laughs) I'm really excited by the wonderful and in-depth questions that we've had. But that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening. Find us on iHeartRadio and subscribe. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.